here we are. Daniel Rouse, Gavin Day, and our still untitled podcast. Uh, Dan, episode two. Look how far we've come. I know, look at this now. This is like, is this a podcast yet? Or is it you know, still kind of like a, not a one-off, a two-off? Like, you know, we've, we still haven't got a name. Um, we're open to suggestions. I can't even remember what I suggested to you earlier, which probably kind of indicates it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> well, we'll see. We've, we, we have a list of, well, I don't really know. All we know is that uh, soccer has taken us to many different places around the world. It's taught us many different things. And you'll hear me doing this because today I finally have... Ah, there we go. Very nice. And I'll join you right now. Beautiful. Well, hang on. You've, I can see in the camera here you've got quite a good uh, beer there, but do you want to tell our listeners what you're drinking? I sure do. I live in the east end of Toronto, and I am having an Ephus Oatmeal Brown Ale from Left Field Brewery. Now, I used to live about two blocks away. I have since moved a little bit further away, but uh, it is one of my absolute favorites, and it's a great East End brewery. It's a baseball theme, which doesn't exactly fit with what we're chatting about here, but good beer is good beer. Well, I just have to say, Leftfield's a fantastic brewery, and if, if you're going down there or you get a chance, I absolutely adore the Greenwood IPA that they do. I think it's fantastic. And they do um, have a pretty fair I, selection of IPAs. Yeah, they do. I'm actually drinking one of my favourite IPAs uh, in the Toronto region, uh, Great Lakes Brewery's Octopus Wants to Fight, um, which is an absolutely superb beer. Great Lakes do a lot of good beers, and they've been doing free delivery during the uh, coronavirus pandemic, but this one is a staple, and it's brilliant absolutely brilliant well there you go i'm not huge on my ipas but um you know i've got my my dark counterbalance with your hoppy bitterness over there exactly exactly so we, we're doing the um what we're doing we're talking the peas today aren't we hey we Panama are and pumas and because i set the ball rolling last time um you know your turn to go first gavin so i suppose really what i you know First of all, tell us the purpose of your visits there, um, and then maybe the preconceived ideas you had about Panama before you went there, compared, and then how they compared with what you what you actually saw when you went there. Yeah, so I've been a twice for for soccer trips. Twenty twelve was the a World Cup qualifier. And uh, 2014 uh, was a friendly. 2012, I was on the the media side of things, and that was the famous night where uh, Panama fans kept Canadian players up all night with with fireworks and speakers. And you know, we'll get into that, I'm sure. In 2014, I was working for Canada, uh, and it was a friendly, and it was a completely completely different experience. You could barely tell that a game was going on there. But uh, you know, the the magic of World Cup qualifying. No, no, it's uh, it's it's in a country that's fascinated me for a while. Um, I actually got a friend who works over there. He's called Gary Stemple. Um, he's managed the national team a couple of times, um, and you know, I just kind of want to hear you know your perspective on what the country's like because you look at it in pictures and it looks really, really American. Panama City, oh, uh, it very, is. very built up. Yeah, yeah. But then um, the stories he's told me, um, you know, he was absolutely instrumental he moved over there in 96 his dad's originally from panama and he's basically 
ensured that the scouting for the national team goes beyond the cities and he's gone into the dense interior and found players. He's you know, got players in his team who were known for gun violence but went on to make loads of caps for you know for Panama. He you know Luis Coco Enriquez used to sell newspapers, um and he used to buy uh, Gary used to buy newspapers off him when he was dropping his daughter off at school. Eventually paid for this lad's uh, public transport so he could go training and he went on to make uh, 89 caps for Panama and he was a teammate of Robert Lewandowski's at Lech Poznan. So, you know, he's got loads of stories, but you know, one quote stuck with me when I spoke to him once, which was, uh, by the time they're eight or nine years old, they know more than I did at 17 or 18. He just says that every single kid he dealt with when he was managing the, the Panamanian national teams and clubs over there that every kid came out of a life of poverty. Um, I mean, is this something that you saw really, really obviously over yeah. your trip there? Yeah, I mean, Panama City is a, you know, it's got some magnificent first-class uh, buildings, architecture, all that. I mean, it, it, what used to be a, a Trump hotel is prominent on the waterfront. I think it was, you know, there was one of those investigations that found there was plenty of mon money laundering going on in the building itself. It's not a Trump hotel anymore, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, in areas, it is a modern, vibrant, uh, world-class city, and Panama itself is, is absolutely stunning. I mean, you know, as a guy who loves to travel for, for nature as well, you can, you know, you get out of the city, and I've been to a place called Bocas del Toro, which is closer uh, to Costa Rica and I mean it's it's rugged it's you know you're on the water and it's quiet and uh, you know the wildlife and the water life is fantastic but yeah Panama City itself it's you know you drive through and there's there's the extremes of extreme have and extreme have not but um, you know it is a a safe city and and I I went down in 2012 and 2014 and I really want to go back now because uh, a it is a great place to visit, and B uh, there's now a you know a modern LRT system that uh, can take you from from downtown to uh, the Estadio Rommel Fernandez where the national team plays. And so, especially as a freelance journalist, and you're trying to cut costs as best you can, if there's a public transportation system that's that's economical and quick, you're taking it over a taxi any day of the week. So what can you tell me about like the match day experience there and stuff? Because, you know, I'm, it's, it's no surprise to hear that it got an LRT. I mean, you know, we can look at that in our perspective and probably think that the transport system is probably better than it is in Toronto. Um, but the actual, uh, the actual match day experience, how was it? You, know, were, you were there as media rather than having a bit of fun. So like, how was it? You know, how did the locals deal with media over there? How were the facilities? How do they compare to what you're used to in your line of work? Yeah, I'll, I'll really stick mostly to the World Cup qualifier because that was that was the memorable one. Uh, I'll always point out the group that that came down for that, and um, I was down with with Kurt Larson, uh, who was then with the Toronto Sun, and Rudy Schuler, who was then with Goal.com, um, and. You know, we'll go back, and when we arrived, uh, I, I shared a ride with Kurt. Kurt was actually gracious enough to, to share me the second bed in his room. Um, and, you know, our taxi in, there were some pretty massive speakers in the trunk. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that person ended up putting them to good use, but other people obviously did have similar kinds of things the night before the Canada game. And so I'll, I'll take us back. We went to the stadium. The Rommel is a nice, very nice stadium. I remember it being quite 
the, the pitch itself was, was quite good. I mean, it is absolutely humid there, or it can get very humid there, and you step out of your hotel, and I remember taking my camera out, and the lens is fogged within seconds, and I have to wait for it to to kind of adapt. But um, we went with when Canada trained, and I remember going in with the team, and there was, you know, the Panamanian media is, is flanked on our sides, and, you know, there's just a handful of us. Meanwhile, you know, as you go, every go in Central America, there's dozens of press, and there was one guy who was dressed rather extravagantly he was shaking our hands the players and then us and i sort of like his hand was kind of clammy and i'm like what is that smell and as it turns out he was some kind of i don't know comedian host or shock jock or something and like he it was part of a bit that i was told for his show where he it was something like he put his hand in the grave of an ancestor or something to curse the Canadians. I think he ended up getting booted from the Canadian training session. But I remember walking in, I'm like, why does my hand smell like coffee? And, you know, I think that's what it was or something. But, um, yeah, and so it, it's a, you know, it's a fine facility. It's, it's you know, modern, one of the better ones in Central America. It's a little bit outside of downtown. Um and, you know, getting out there, we were lucky enough to line up, you know, one taxi guy who, um, you know, was sort of our guy for the trip. And I believe his name was Eric. Really nice guy. And um, this, we, we got to Panama on the heels of Canada scoring a win at home at BMO Field, where Canada took a quickly taken free kick. Panama was not ready. It was sort of, uh, you know, I always associate with Thierry Henry with Arsenal when he took a quick free kick and surprised everybody. That's how Canada won. We get down to Panama, and the meet, and locals there were sort of saying, oh, Canada cheated to get the goal. It shouldn't have counted. Uh, so there was there was some, some teeth gnashing at the time. Uh, and then that night, the night before the game, uh, we were around the corner from the Canadian Hotel, and that's when the noise started. I mean, we were out for dinner, which we can get into dinner at one point. It was very good food down there. And it was deleted, but there was a tweet <laughs> by the Panama FA saying, hey, come out and support our guys at such and such a place. And people did. And they set off fireworks. You know, they dro wow. drove up and down the street with their speakers blaring. The streets were packed with people. And then, you know, police cars would come through in the, I guess, the auspices of, yeah, we're totally doing something. And they would flash their sirens or fl the lights and turn on their sirens really loud, just adding to the noise. <laughs> And I remember at one point seeing a Canadian staff member just standing outside, just sort of gesturing to one of the hotel employees, sort of like, yeah, anything you can do? And, and they went, no. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the next day uh, we go in to get our media credentials at the Canadian hotel, and apparently they never came. And they went and said, yeah, just go to the stadium. Go to the same entrance. And we're like, okay. So we get to the stadium, but there's a security zone, you know, 500 meters away from that entrance. And, uh, you know, we don't know what to do. I have very broken Spanish. And after stopping at a little, you know, meat stand to get a little meat on a stick for a dollar, um, one U.S. dollar, like you said, it's uh, 
they use American dollars as well as the Balboa, their own currency. And I sort of go in, I find a security guy, and I go, you know, we're press, no pass, gesturing in my fractured Spanish, and he goes, oh, no pass. And he sort of sneaks us around, and fortunately we bump into one of the journalists we'd gotten to know, and he takes us into the stadium to the, the you know, the FA office or what have you, and finally our... Uh, you know, our passes were on the desk, essentially, so we got in. But it was a great vibe. I mean, you, you always want to take a few extra minutes to appreciate what's going on outside the stadium. And um, it was it was cool because it was, it was a party atmosphere and there were, you know, stages set up. You know, radio DJs were hosting their shows on location. Uh, and like I said, food aplenty. Um, I bought a little Panama headband for a dollar, which was essentially just a piece of ribbon with Panama on it. I have no idea where <laughs> it is, but um, you know, it was one of the the enjoyable ones because I'd sort of taken some time to explore Panama, the you know, Panama City a little bit, and it's yeah, I can only hope to get back there, you know, soon. But who knows with the state of the world? It's absolutely incredible, really, because. You know, football's not the number one sport over there. Um, baseball, you know, I think football's had more of a grip recently, but baseball's still the number one sport because, you know, Mariano Rivera with New York Yankees made such an impression for them. And, you know, it was just, it was just second fiddle. So to think that there's still people that passionate and in that kind of number who still want to cause an absolute riot outside a hotel is just amazing to me. I mean, did the that kind of atmosphere tumble over into the stadium? Was it intimidating in there? Oh, 100%. Um, it wasn't full, but they sort of knew where to, to pack the fans. And like most places in Central America, uh, you know, fans get in early. Uh, you know, in Canada, the stadium opens like an hour before and there's all the security concerns. In Panama, fans are there early. They filed in early. Um, and, uh, yeah, just music was being played loud. Fans were in the great mood. And, and you know, if you watch any replay of the games, uh, and when a Panama goal is scored, uh, you'll see beer fly into the air. And that's not right where that camera is. It's everywhere. And I, I swear to you, they knew there was Canadian media right in front of us. And we were right behind the fans, uh, right in the back of the grandstand. And... Canada lost 2-0 on that day, and I swear each time, uh, you know, the Panamanian fans are, like, ready and would aim it back at us because we would get it <laughs> full on. And the second, first goal we weren't, you know, it was like, oh, shit, and we had to hide our computers. The second goal comes in, and it's like, oh, here we go. We were ready for it. But, um, yeah, and, I mean, after the game, <laughs> for after all of that, the Panamanian fans uh, walked by us shaking our hands and, the following month, Canada was going to be playing in Honduras in that fateful day uh, that, that Canadian fans have come to see as the darkest day of the program. Um, and they would do, they pointed to us, they would say, you, Honduras, and they would do the throat slashing gesture. And we're like, <laughs> okay, we'll do our best. You know, it, you know, it was, it was all war for the 90 minutes, but then afterwards it was like, hey, you know, we're, we're pals again. I don't know what would have happened if Panama had lost, but um, yeah, it was, you know, it's one of those things where it's, where it's a fun atmosphere. And you mentioned baseball. I mean, I remember back when Panama was playing Canada in a World Cup qualifier for about the 2002 World Cup, and they were, you know, ranked 120th or something, and they were the minnow of the group, and then here they are, they qualified for, for 2018. And uh, you know, what can you tell me about the 
quality action um, because you know, I know we'll have obviously a, a good Canadian listenership hopefully on this because of you know our backgrounds and who we work for. But you know, maybe talk through some of the players who were playing that day, maybe. And if you can remember from the action, I know sometimes we get a little bit blurry on these kind of aspects because me and you just kind of uh, lap up the culture. But what can you remember about the game itself? Uh, the game itself was, was uh, you remember the lights going out in the first half. Um, you know, Canada had gotten off to a very slow start and then Dwayne De Rosario hurt his knee and then the lights went out. And so we sat in the dark for... Um, I'm not sure what the delay was. It was was it 20 minutes or something? Uh, you know, if anyone's listening at home who who remembers it better than I, they might say, you know, how long it was. But it was, uh, yeah, it was. It wasn't Canada's best performance by any stretch. It was your typical Canada does well at home, can't do well on the road, can't find a goal. Um, and uh, but yeah, what what you remember was one the humidity. It wasn't as hot at kickoff but it was just so damn muggy and it's just you know you're sweating just bringing it down you know just being brought down in that environment sitting in the stands um and then yeah you just remember uh darkness for for 20 minutes and uh one thing i do remember as i will never ever forget this is walking down you know we're sort of doing the 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 windy catwalk down to get our post-game media and there's a cluster of Panamanian fans celebrating on the way out, and we're trying to squeeze through, and I see a Canadian. And I, uh, I put, sort of put my arm on him, and I say, this is, this is something else, isn't it? Uh, and he goes, oh, who, who are you with? And I go, well, I'm, I'm a journalist covering. He turns on a dime and says, where the fuck were you? We come all this way, and you don't come to take our picture? We, you didn't see us? And then I go... What? That's not my job. And I started whistling through it. And I'd, clearly he was inebriated because then I feel like sort of a fist a little bit on the back shoulder. And he, like he had tried, I guess, tried to hit me from the feel of things. I didn't look back. I just kept going because I was without of his reach. And I didn't want to push anything. But I get down. And, you know, we were sort of in the bowels of the stadium doing post-game press. And, and Stephen Hart noticed. And he's like, you okay? And I'm like, well, a Canadian fan tried to hit me. But uh, I'm fine. <laughs> if anybody knows if their friend traveled down to Panama for that, your friend might well be a dick. So there you go. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's, it's long enough where long enough where hopefully time has healed all wounds and all that but uh yeah i mean it's it was more just a stun more than anything where we all do things that we regret but i literally just said i was media and it's apparently my job to to take pictures of the fans (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think so fella no gotta tell the match report here um and then let, let i mean i suppose we should kind of touch upon the city itself again i mean to me like, you know, I love going to Latin America and visiting places around there, but it doesn't really feel particularly appealing to me, Panama City, just because it's very, you know, Americanized and stuff like that. It doesn't have that as, as much Latin flavor. I mean, is the city still pretty? Um, I mean, is uh, you mentioned the food. You said that's good. Is it got good drinks? Like, you know, what what are the real selling points of Panama City for a visitor? Yeah, I, I you know what, I enjoyed it because um, there are... You know, you're not far from. Uh, they have a big park that I can't quite remember the name of. Um, so you can you can escape from the, you know, the hustle and bustle a little bit. There are 
plenty of, of really nice areas in town, but it's like I said, it's it's a mixture of extreme haves and extreme have-nots. You're right there for the, the Panama Canal, which is, you know, a tour in and of itself. But, um, you know, yes, it does feel Americanized because, if I'm not mistaken, it is a bit of a, a tax haven. Um, but I I do like the city. I mean, it's... It, it, it's not that expensive if you're a traveler. I mentioned the food. You know, there was one place we went to several times, just your basic kind of, you know, almost cafeteria. And the first night there, we're like, you know, we see how much uh, something called Sancocho is, which is kind of a Central American stew, which has its different permuta, you know, different ingredients depending on where you are in the region. We saw that it was cheap, and I think we ordered, you know, steak, too. And we just thought, you know, based on the prices, the portions were going to be quite small. And then we they bring out this, you know, massive bowl of stew, which had chicken and corn and potatoes and, um, and a big piece of meat. And it's just like, all right, this is uh, certainly worth our money. So, um, so yeah, for me, it's the the combination of you you can escape to uh, a quieter place, you know, do some wildlife watching. Uh, the, the one issue I have, which is which is something that just just bugs me, is you know, as someone who tries to be a little environmental, is 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 there's plastic and there's waste in a lot of places. Like there's there's Panama, mm-hmm. I believe Panama Bay, um, that you drive by on the the highway of the Americas, I believe it's called Pan American highway. And, and when the tide is low, you can just see, you know, the, like there's shorebirds wandering around amidst, you know, plastic crap all over the place. And I don't know how much of that has to do with the ships going through the locks or if it's, if it's the locals, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm someone who notices those things and I can't, you know, I just want to go out and, and, and tidy things up. But, um, you know, so there's good and bad, like every place, but, you know, as, as a staging ground to, if you start in Panama City and then go elsewhere in the country, um, it's just an absolutely breathtaking part of the world. And, 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 you know, first, one of the, maybe the best airport alongside San Jose, Costa Rica in, in Central America. No, no, I, mean, I think there's any, there's no reason as well that Panama can't have a good football team for the future. I mean, I think a lot of people might remember Felipe Baloy's goal against England at the 2018 World Cup. I mean, that was a real huge moment for that country. But I think uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, some decent youth development going on there. No, um, uh, what was the name of the club? Club Atletico Independiente de la Chorea, um, who beat uh, Toronto FC 4-0 in the CONCACAF Champions League. They're actually uh, they're Colombian-owned. They're a second-tier club, but they've know made accommodations on their training ground so they can basically get kids who live who are from eight hours away in the dense interior to play there and they've really you know they're really making the uh, national team program you know advanced leaps and bounds so you know Panama's got the same population as Croatia and look what Croatia can do on the international stage so maybe we'll see Panama you know perhaps progress to tournaments on a more regular basis in the future yeah it's it's a wealthy enough country in terms of central american standards like i mentioned panama city is is very modern maybe you know maybe the most modern in all of central america and uh you know we'll see we'll see how the where the investment goes but yeah certainly there is there is potential you don't need a massive population to have a good team you just need you know 18 players <laughs> but it would be cool if if they you know they're they have been lacking a little in in the women's program and uh you know you, you're just aching for that central american region to 
to step up and really make CONCACAF really cool for for the women's game. But now, yeah. let's let's switch things up. Let's let's your turn. Uh, I initially suggested your trip to Hungary, but after Bulgaria, I figured we didn't want to do another Garia, Hungaria. And if you know that reference from The Simpsons, kudos to you. Um, but uh, yeah, so we had enough. We had enough of Eastern Europe, and then we suggested uh, the P, the P theme, Panama to Pumas of Mexico City. And now, Dan, when most people think Mexico City these days. Um, they think of, of Azteca, and rightfully so, but Mexico, given its massive size, it can fit in a couple large stadiums and the clubs to go with them. Yeah, yeah, and Pumas is, uh, well, it was, a, it was one of my favorite football experiences abroad, I have to say. I mean, the stadium... Yes, the Estadio Olimpico Universitario, 72,000 capacity. Yeah, pretty big thing. Um, not really steep stands. It's quite you know sprawling, kind of flat-looking thing. Um, opened 1952. Um, some really you know important historical moments in a sporting sense there. I mean, like 1986, there were four World Cup matches there. Maradona played a couple of games, didn't score in either. Um, you had Michel Platini scoring in France's 2-0 defeat of Italy in the round of 16 in that tournament. But the most important historical thing that happened at that stadium was at the uh, Olympic Games in uh, 1968, was it? Yes. Um, I believe I yeah. believe uh, Bob Beeman of the U.S. set the then Olympic record in the long jump by jumping clear outside the stadium, thanks to the thin air that they have. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that is magnificent. No, the, the, the one is uh, the, obviously the most important historical moment at that stadium, which I'm sure you've all seen the pictures of, is when uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos performed a Black Power salute during the medal ceremony for the 200 metres in solidarity with African-Americans who were being badly treated in the United States. A really, really important moment in history there. And, uh, yeah, the stadium just kind of, like, bleeds that history. It's got the it's got tunnels that kind of lead you into the stands. And, you know, there's actually a, a tragic event where they let too many fans in in 1985 and some people lost, 11 people lost their lives in one of these tunnels because they, they, the authorities just let too many people in. There was a crush. It was just horrific. And it's just, um, it's, it seems time stood still for this ground. Um, they're concrete seats. It's very, very, very basic. What I always like about games in that part of the world is is outside the ground it's it's almost a party i talked about it in panama but it's a party pregame what's the you know there's no shortage of food and and merchandise for sale what's what's it like uh, at this one because of course everyone thinks club america is is sort of the team that that draw a lot of the supporters in mexico but what's it like for a, for a pumas game oh Pumas are like, uh, it's a great atmosphere outside. I mean, there are stores there to buy stuff. It's not like Bulgaria where you can't buy anything. Like, there are stores, like, it's a bit more advanced. Uh, everyone wears the colours. There's a march to the stadium. Um, there is a little bit of menace in the air, but it's mainly very, very friendly. Um, it's actually the most pleased I've ever seen at a game. Um, before, so this was 2018, I think it was in November, um, I was over there. Before this, the most pleased I'd ever seen at a game was... Uh, the Manchester Derby in the FA Cup semi-final in 2011 at Wembley. Um, so, you know, it's over 90,000 people in the stadium. You kind of expect it for a big derby game like that. But probably, say, for about 70,000 fewer fans, they're about three times the police. Um, you know, all in riot gear. Um, and I'd probably say for a lot of it, it was unnecessary. I actually saw an elderly copper 
um, stood up and falling asleep, and he was dribbling a little bit. Um, there was a bit of colour to his dribble as well. So I, I think it, I think he might have been chewing a bit of tobacco or something. Um, but there is like they are. I think in some you get split ideas across Mexico whether uh, Pumas fans are dangerous or not, and it's because it's a fan base with a split personality. Really, you got like on one hand they are a university team ultimately, so you got a lot of studenty types going there, but there's also a strong group from the Santo Domingo neighbourhood, which is a really tough you know, working-class neighbourhood. And they try to tend to congregate in the El Bebetiro, Pepetiro, or you know, my bad of Spanish is coming out there, which uh, translates as the cauldron. Uh, you, you know, Strictly translates as the cauldron, but it means stand. Um, they kind of congregate there. It's loud, it's raucous. And probably for a bad idea, but it's actually one tier above other supporters. Um, and even though they're supporters of the same club, I was in the Pumas bit and I was below them, the Pumas fans from this, you know, predominantly from this rough neighbourhood, would just for a laugh just pour beer on the people below them. Oh, At least I hope it was beer, because some of it felt a little bit warm. And, uh, and, then, and then if somebody took exception to it, which you know, somebody near me did, uh, stood up and took exception to it, he'd get offered out for a fight. So um, it was a really, really... It was just an absolute feast for the eyes just to see these different personalities pulling for the same club, these different personalities pulling for the same club, but then still picking on each other. Um, and, and the Cruzers, all the way fans, were, you know, to say they're another Mexico City team. They were strangely quiet for this as well. It was a really, really interesting experience, nothing I'd ever seen before. How full was the stadium? Um, it, they, I, there's no official um, number I can see anywhere when I look back at it, but if I looked with you know an eyeball analysis of it, I'd probably say about thirty thousand. Okay, because um, you mean well, I always the the let's just say non elite European countries or the non power leagues. You know, in North America, we always get the oh, I only watch the Champions League or I only watch England oh, or God. Germany. And you know, in Mexico, which is one of those sort of mid-major programs, uh was was there any of that or like did it feel like people were really into it? Oh no, people are massively massively into this. You mean like with the atmosphere and like how how intense people were behind the game? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like um, as I say, the Cruisers All fans were strangely quiet. I was really, really surprised by that. Um, you just don't expect it for a derby game. Um, but the Pumas fans were really, really, really raucous. They had this uh, interesting kind of chant thing where they kind of uh, gyrated their arms in the air and did a whistle noise and then kind of pumped their elbow a little bit and it was all in unison and it, it was quite an intimidating sound. <laughs> It was an interest. I don't know. As I say, it was just interesting. It was like no other fan culture seen before because the Pumas fans were really, really into it. But at the same time, I think there was a lot of uh, intoxication in that second second tier I mentioned. Like it was like an escape from their lives, and it was just like an absolute release. Whereas there's some people who were there, you know, sat down, infatuated by the football. And you know, Liga MX is a good quality, and there's some good technical players out there. Uh, what did you eat? Did you eat anything at the stadium? Uh, yeah, there was some. It was, it was interesting what I was getting sold, really. I mean, there's one particular seller who I took a picture of actually. He was selling, like, you know, candy and toys, like 
bath, you know, rubber duckies and stuff like that for kids <laughs> to be entertained with. But in the same basket he was selling out were loads of cigarettes. So uh, <laughs> he he was definitely he was definitely covering all demographics here with his, his box. Um, I I personally like we'd uh, we'd had a few Modellos and Mescals the night before. Um, my brother was you know he he's actually moved away now, but he'd lived there for about ten or eleven years. So. You know, he was uh, showing us the sights and sounds of Mexico City and we were nursing a bit of a hangover. So we actually turned down a very, very authentic uh, meal, which is called curritos, um, which is like um, basically, you know what pork scratchings are? Oh, yeah. 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 So like pork scratchings, but not cooked. So oh, it's God. like pig wow. skin. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's like pig skin pickled and then they just lob a load of hot sauce over it. And honestly, when you're hungover and you're peering over someone's <laughs> shoulder, looking at the looking at the munching knees out of a, you know, a plastic cup, it is not a pretty sight. Wow. So what we did, which was a which was a popular snack, was uh, we had um, kettle chips with a with a load of hot sauce. Well, that makes me think of because I, I was at the years ago at the under twenty Concacaf Championships. I was in Puebla, and one of the big things was you know your basic kind of salty snacks, but there was. They always had a bottle of hot sauce that you could squirt into the bag and sort of filters down to, to season it. It makes me made me think of that. Um, one other thing, I, I have to share my own little Mexico food story once, and uh, it's it's apropos of nothing, but um, it just made me think <laughs> of uh, this one time down in Mexico City. There was a guy selling tacos out of the trunk of his car, and I it was almost one of those badge of honor things where it's like. I'm going to go have some. And eventually I well up the courage. I assume I'm going to be, you know, by the toilet most of the evening. Um, but I say, you know what? It'll be a story. And so I, uh, I, I sort of order again in my broken Spanish. And the guy's like, oh, it's okay. I used to live in New York City. Uh, what do you want? And I'm like, all right, great. I'll have whatever. And he just literally he has all this stuff in the trunk of his car. And it was so tasty. And then I didn't get sick. It's just, uh, I, I did actually get sick when I was in Mexico City, um, but it was actually probably the best restaurant we went to that made me sick. Um, I have to say, like, I think it's the best food I've ever had in Mexico City. And, like, there are, now I've been to some, you know, I've know, been to places that are kind of supposed to be known for their food, like Rome, for it's rubbish. Um, Toronto is obviously excellent for its food, but, like, to have the street food available in Mexico City is like nothing I've ever tasted. The smell of, you know, the tacos being warmed up and, and just that lovely corn smell everywhere is just absolutely stunning. And the, was it called tamales you can eat off the street where they had this like really, really like iconic tune as people sell them off the back of a bicycle. Like it's just food everywhere, so much flavor. It is, yeah, definitely the best culinary experience I've ever had. And um, it's cheap. And it's cheap. That's what I love. You know, you'll love the street food when it's well done. And yeah, I mean, considering how huge Mexico City is, you know, like I, I've been down there twice, and each time it's just you're almost disappointed when you've just eaten and you see something else. Yeah, like I, I think I had an extra stomach for that trip. Um, it was just you know you had to because my um, my brother was kind of living like on the border of the Roma and Condesa neighborhoods, and he you know he knew everything and. It's quite interesting, actually, because my brother is a proper gringo. Like, he's, like, I've got a bit of a ginger beer, but he's pretty ginger. <laughs> and uh, and I was quite impressed, because we'd, like, hop into a taxi or something, he'd start conversing with them in Spanish. 
And like the taxi drivers and officers often look at him like, how the hell do you speak like that? Because apparently he spoke with such a thick Mexican uh, Mexican accent. That I was really really <laughs> impressed with him for that, and I'm really really proud of him. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, Mexico City is it was like kind of for me and my missus we went down there. It was kind of our last blowout before we had a kid actually. So it's 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 also got very special, you know, memories of me for that reason. And you know, we'll talk a little bit about the Azteca in the future, I'm sure, because um, we've both been there. Um, I had a wonderful trip to a place called Guadalajara, which maybe I'll check, I'll save for that little chat as well. Um, it's a really incredible place, and you know, as a as a beer enthusiast, we actually went to a beer festival as well, where um, I had this uh, coffee stout, which was absolutely stunning, by a, a brewery called Tonic Till, who are like a family-owned brewery just outside Mexico City. Um, but the best beer I had was a a, a sour gosa. Um, it's made by a brewery called Crew Crew. And, in Mexico, uh, it was, yeah, yeah. Honestly, like this, this beer festival was remarkable. I, I just didn't think there was an appetite for it. And uh, you know, in in this sour gosa, one of the main ingredients was crushed crickets. Oh, it's just like at uh, like Seattle Mariners games. They now sell grasshoppers and, and insects in in Mexico. It's it's a thing, and I've heard they're quite good. Yeah, I've I've heard. I've never tried those kind of insects. I've tried an ant before. Um, that was just absolutely disgusting. It was really, really horrible. But you know, this, this it's the future, though, isn't it? You know, we're all going to be eating crushed up insects on our, uh, you know, on our Weetabix in the future, aren't we? Like that's just how it's going to be. That's easy protein, right? But uh, well, I mean, I, I'm always amazed because every time you go to Mexico and you know the beers that I've found. Uh, again, it's just been a few trips, but it's it's American style lagers, which I'm not a fan of. It's just there's too light, not enough flavor. But I am I'm so heartened to hear that they uh, that they're trying things. Yeah, they're really really adopting it. I mean, I yeah, I mean this uh, crushed cricket beer that I had, I I I almost uh, you know wanted to go home with a brewmaster, you know, because I've just been uh, you know having so much lager over the last few days, and then to try this, it was just like a real, I you know just completely rocked me back on some heels just to try something like that and something I'd never tried in North America before, which, you know, North America is, you know, at the forefront of, uh, you know, innovation with, you know, making new craft brews and stuff. So I was really impressed with that. Um, I just love the, love Mexico City. I think it is a place, you know, to go while you're still reasonably young. Um, it's a place where I can't understand how my brother lived there for that long because it is absolutely exhausting it's it massive. seems like yeah it's it's massive it's just like absolute chaos everywhere you go there's like you know it seems like every car has its hazard lights permanently on um it's, it's oh we went to go and watch some mexican wrestling as well which was uh excellent fun incredible acrobats those those people are um i just yeah i'd recommend mexico city so high I've gone through all of this. I even talked about football, have I? Well, that's it. It's always amazing where we, we dive into this, and it's just, it. you know, we if like we've said, if you just watch the game on TV, there's there's so much more, and when you experience it firsthand in person, it's it. that's what, in my mind, leaves the indelible mark. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, if I try and think about what I remember of the game, honestly, it's absolutely minimal. Um, I remember there was some player, I think he was playing for Pumas, called... Andres Iniestra, so there's an R <laughs> at the end. So I, and he was a midfielder as well, so I, I quite enjoyed that. Um, I was disappointed because a Cruz Azul player, if I supported a Mexican team, it would be Cruz Azul, definitely. Um, and there's a player 
because it was it was actually like a few days after few days after Cruz Azul beat Monterrey in the Copa MX final, and I don't and I think this player got injured. He's called uh, Josue Dominguez, I think he's called, and he's only five foot two, um, a really really exciting wide player, and I really wanted to see him because during the whole commentary for the Copa MX final, because uh, we watched this in Guanajuato, uh, which we'll talk about in a future pod, I think. Um, the commentary referring to him as the Smurf because he was wearing a blue kit and he was just like <laughs> busting around this little guy. So, but unfortunately, he was injured for this game, so I didn't get to see him. But as I said, it's a you know good good quality. Um, you know, it's still better than Major League Soccer. Um, but it's uh, yeah, I just can't remember much about the game because there was just so much else to see. Yeah, should we wrap it up there? Yeah, I think so. I think we've. Uh, yeah, I think we've really gone for it on this episode. Aren't we we thought we we're going to do half hour episodes on this one. But well, I think it's this it's, it's between. It, we're still not forty. We're still not forty five. So it's fine. We have some some wiggle room. And with the with the fading in of the fan noise from Panama, setting off fireworks, making noise, and trying to keep us up all night. That is our cue to end this. Dan, that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I I think I'm responsible for making it long. So I was so interested about Panama. Thanks for. Uh, you know, indulging me there. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, if you if you are listening to this, thanks for joining us. And uh, more, we'll see what destination we can come up with next. But until then, thanks for listening.